Well, hello, hello everyone. It's great to see you. My name is Ben. A special welcome to everybody across all of Westwood's campuses. Uh, I know we're all missing Joel, and I hear he is recovering well and coming back soon, so pretty excited about that. Today we're continuing week three of our series in Ephesians, and we're in Ephesians chapter three. So if you have your Bible, or if you use an app, go ahead and pull that out because we're going to be walking through that. And just um, and and as you do that, we're uh, I use the New Living Translation, so you might want to follow along with that one and just leave the Wordle behind if you happen to be using your phone. So we can always get to that later. Uh, so today, as uh, as we dive into Ephesians three, I want to start with this quote, kind of get us started. Uh, A. W. Tozer says this: What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us now just think on that for a second first of all what comes into your mind when you think about God secondly do you think about God it's amazing to me we get so caught up in all the things of our daily lives and all we have going on that I think many of us can go days even weeks where like it really doesn't cross our mind and maybe church is that reminder but man we're talking about the God of the universe here and so Paul, Paul is so overwhelmed with who God is that everything in this Ephesians passage is just dripping with superlatives about how great God is. So, so here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I, I'm going to read through this section, Ephesians 3, which is so rich, and then we're going to pull on the climactic part of it and, and then apply it in to our world. So Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and following. Follow along with me. Paul says this, When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And your translation might say something like the, the father of, from who all families get their names, or in Greek it literally says the father of all fathers. It's just saying he is the originator, the creator of all. Verse 16, this is Paul's prayer, and man, I just, I wish we could learn to pray like this. How powerful this would be if we prayed for each other like this. I pray that from God's glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Just pause there. Can anybody here use a little inner strength today? Yeah, I, I know I could. A little inner strength. Not only does it say, though, may God empower you with inner strength. Look what it says. From God's unlimited resources. You know what the Greek word is there for unlimited? Unlimited. Like complete, uh, like forever, uh, like Unbelievable, like from there is where he's saying, may you have inner strength. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. I mean, so much of what, when it talks about us in this passage, we're passive. We're trusting God is the one who's doing. Where your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. And here's the climactic part of the passage. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Man, made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. This is another word for this is contentment. Not needing anything, not wanting, being full. Like 
I feel like our world, our, our people in general are constantly on the move looking for contentment, searching everywhere for it. Would you agree with that? We're trying to find it in everything but what I think is the real source. So I have a friend who wrote a book called Your New Money Mindset. And in that book, uh, as they were preparing for it, they did a study of people of all different economic levels from lower to, uh, to higher economic levels. And they asked them all the same question. At what level of income would you feel like you are content with what you have? Here's what they found, and this is astounding. No matter the level, lower or higher, everybody, everybody pretty much said, if I just had 25% more, then I would be content. Isn't that interesting? Because as we get more, the bar just keeps going up. As we get more, we go, but if I had that, but if I had that, like I have, um, I have some friends in our circle. They're people of wisdom, people of wealth. A lot of other people look at them and go, oh, I just, if I could just be like them, successful like them, then I'd be content. Got that comparison sickness thing with them. But I was hanging out with them one time and and uh, they were talking about, well, we know this guy and he has houses and we don't, places we don't have houses and he has wealth in a way we don't have wealth. And it was kind of like, well, sometimes I wonder if we could just do that. Like, well, it doesn't matter what level you're at. We all go just, just 25% more. Uh, have you all seen uh, the movie, the weird Willy Wonka and the Charlie Factory movie? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, not, not the weird one with Johnny Depp, but the original weird one. So in that one where they're like literally laying in bed singing, oh, I've got a golden ticket, that one. So in that movie at the very end, and it's a fantasy movie, and I, I know I'm ruining it, but let's, let's be clear. You've had decades to watch it, okay? <laughs> so at the end of that movie, there's a, there's a uh, elevator that is flying in the air. It doesn't make any sense in the movie either, even as I say it but it's a glass elevator flying through the air. And as it does that, Willy Wonka looks over at Charlie, this little boy, and he says, Charlie, you know what happened to the boy who got everything he ever wanted? And he goes, what? And he goes, well, he lived happily ever after. I'm like, oh, isn't that a sweet way to end a movie? But, but I have a problem with that. What, like he said, when you get everything you ever wanted, when do you ever get what you want? Like when is want satisfied? When do I stop wanting? Because I, I always want, well, 25% more. Oh, just that little bit more. Like there is a huge difference between things that fill us and things that fulfill us. Those that... <laughs> There's a big difference between things that fill us. Thank you, sorry, that's on me, I'm sure. Filled versus fulfilled. Like things that fill us are things that like we, we, we love to buy them, achieve them, get them. It may be a job, a house, a car. And, and if you had that experience, like you get the new car and maybe it's a new to you car and they just sprayed the new car smell in it. It still, it still works. And you're driving down the road for a while and you're like, man, this is, I am somebody. I got this car, right? And then after a few months and a, a few McDonald's wrappers later and like some kids in the back and like after a little while, you're, you pull up at a stoplight and you look over and somebody else has a newer car and a nicer car and theirs is electric and boy, gas prices are sure going up. Maybe, maybe I need one of those and then, then I'll be content. Just 25% more, right? We always 
look for things to fill us, but I'm telling you, those things don't fulfill us. But I'll tell you this, the most dangerous place we look to be filled is actually not in things, it's in another person. And we as humanity do this all the time. Uh, it, it, how, many, how many single pe- people just think, man, when I finally find that person, then I'll be complete. Or how many of us who are in significant relationships go, we want that other person in the relationship to complete us. Like somebody at the early service said, said um, they, their counselor told them, stop trying to complete each other. Like just compliment each other, right? You can't, you, you'll never be able to complete them. I mean, that's movie logic again, right there. And, and maybe you've seen the movie where the, they lock eyes across the room and he, he looks at, deeply into her eyes and he says, you complete me. And that's terrible. <laughs> like how, why, how could you ever put that much pressure on another human being, right? Like, like that's, that is a place only God can fill, the one who completes us. So like do not put other people in the place of God because listen, we make terrible gods. Would you just look at the person next to you and tell them, you make a terrible God. <laughs> you do. Yeah, I didn't hear you say it, but it's true. <laughs> you make a terrible, terrible God. Only God can. Only God can fill us. Only him. Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life to the full. Wow. To the fullest. And he isn't just talking about heaven where it's complete, but he's saying even now we can live in that. Even with all the issues, all the uncomfortableness, all the things we experience in this life, you can know the fullness of life, contentment and completeness in him. Now Paul, who wrote Ephesians in the section we're in, he also wrote Philippians. And this is, he talks about this in Philippians. He says this, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing. I call that the test of adversity. Or with everything. I call that the test of prosperity. Goes on, he says, I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And then here is the, the gets the word for most quoted out of context passage of all time. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Notice the context of this. We always want to use this passage, or people do, in the context of achievement. Yet this passage is not about achievement. It's about contentment. It's not saying, with Christ, I can run a four-minute mile. With Christ, I will conquer that mountain. With Christ, I will get that job. I will overcome this. No, it's saying no matter what happens, the best of the best or the worst of the worst, I can know contentment because I know Jesus. Do you see that? Like, if I were to tell you this year you're gonna go through a test, maybe the test of adversity, maybe the test of prosperity, I mean, well, First of all, most of us in here are probably going, well, Lord, please test me with the test of prosperity. <laughs> like, if you must test me, may it be the test of prosperity. <laughs> Lord, I surrender myself to your will. <laughs> please bring it, bring, just bring it on. But here's the thing. 
when we think of that, we usually think the test of, test of adversity is one, the one we don't want. But I'll tell you this, the test of adversity is actually easier than the test of prosperity. Here's why. In the test of adversity, we know that God is all we have and he is more than enough. We see our desperate need for him. In the test of prosperity, we're tempted to believe that we don't need him. And in that is the most dangerous place to be. And, and don't we live in a country where we are, I mean, everybody says the most prosperous nation in all of history, the United States of America. So let's just put this to the test. We have the most prosperous nation in history. Would you say that we also have the most content nation and the most content people of all time? No. In fact, you could say it seems that the more prosperous we become, the less content we are. Agreed? Just 25% more. Just 25% more. Like there's more to contentment than situation. There's more to it than what we have. There's something and someone who fulfills when nothing else is able to fill us. Maybe not getting what you want is part of God's way of bringing us to a place of real contentment. So uh, years ago, use this illustration, come back to it. But years ago, uh, when my kids were little, just babies, uh, my son, uh, oldest, just learning to crawl. And those of you with kids, like especially multiples, you know this. Your first child, you're just like, come on, crawl. Come on, take that first step. Like we've got all the cameras ready. Like we're ready to call everybody. They did it. They took a step, right? With the second, third, and on, we're like, you know, if you could just wait on that, <laughs> right? Like, it, you know, it might be awkward if you're 18 in your first step, but five, five maybe, five years, no. Like we, but that first step in babies, they, they do this thing where they start crawling and it's, it's really cute and then they just speed up on you unexpectedly. Have you all parents, you know what I'm talking about? Suddenly they're getting places faster than they could before and it's harder to react. Well, my, my son was doing that. He had started crawling but then he's moving quickly. So we're on the second story of the house and there's these wood stairs going down and he saw those wood stairs and he goes, you know what? In his baby mind, he's like, I want to go down those stairs. That looks like a fun adventure. So he starts baby rocket crawling that direction. And I, I'm super dad, I see that. I get over there. I grab him just as he's going over the edge. I mean, I'm trying to set up like a little tension here. Are you tracking him? Right. <laughs> just as he's going over the edge, I dive down. I grab him. I pull him up. And I, I can't even believe it. He didn't thank me. <laughs> like he started crying, yelling, I wanted to go there. Why are you pulling me over here? I mean, that's what I interpreted his cry to mean anyway. But after a little bit, he stopped looking at the stairs, what he wanted, and he start, started looking at me. And in that, in that he calmed down. In that he settled in. In that he found in that moment some contentment. And so I went through a personal experience like that recently. Uh, one where, where I, what I wanted, what I desperately wanted, I didn't get. Uh, and the door was closed on me and I thought, well, that's the next step. That's the place that I should be going. And, and in that moment, that door was closed and, 
And I, and I was like looking at the stairs. I'm like, Lord, I was crying out in my own way like a little baby. And, and I, God reminded me of that moment, that moment with my own son. And, and said, stop looking at that thing you want and instead just look at me. See me. Trust me. Just like I was saying to my son, I got you. Trust me. I know what's better. I can see more than you can see. Trust me. You see, the road to contentment is not through getting all that we want or the circumstances or even our comfort. It's simply in trusting the one who holds us. And let me say this really clear because too many of us equate comfort with contentment. Paul, as he writes this book of Ephesians, wrote all those words in Philippians about contentment. What he was, the context of that, he's in prison. Paul, who had a blessed and privileged life in every way at his time, gave all of it up to follow Jesus and because of that is thrown in prison and then writes all about joy and contentment because of Jesus. And some of you in here might be going, well, you don't know my circumstance or mental illness and how that plays in, all these things. I am not saying that God promised a comfortable life because he didn't, but he did promise no matter how uncomfortable this life can get that we can know contentment because we know him. He said, I'll be with you. And frankly, he doesn't always give us the answers as to why we're going through what we're going through. We don't always get to see, well, those stairs would have been dangerous to go down. Like Job, we kind of all know the story of Job, went through some hardship, had some at the end, some questions of God. God gives a couple chapters of like, I am God. Like, did you make the stars? Did you put the, did, did you put the clouds in the sky? And, and Job's like, no, no, no. And then, and then he just gets a be still and know I'm God moment. He doesn't say, well, let me explain all this to you. He just says, I am God. Is that enough for you? And I think that's a part of the question for us today. Is it enough for us when we think of God to know you are God and I trust you? As our roots go deep, I trust you. Is that enough? So what I want to do is spend the rest of the time we have here diving into who God is, the fullness of who he is, and turn our eyes off of our circumstances and everything else and just turn them to him. Amen to, amen to that? And I'm, not, I'm not done with the message. It's just an early amen, right? <laughs> amen to that? All right. So, so Ephesians 3, verse 14, says, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. Paul is overwhelmed with who God is and comes on his knees in prayer before God. When's the last time you just thought, wow, God, you are so great? Like, we love that conversation when it comes to other people. Who's the greatest at this? Who's the greatest at that? The greatest of all time is, the goat of this is, I mean, basketball, for instance. Who's the greatest basketball of all time? Who says LeBron? Yeah, really? Man, I don't know about other sites here, but. Nobody, I haven't seen a single hand yet go up for LeBron. How about Jordan? Best of all time. Oh, okay, wow, even get some applause, all right. Yeah, anybody else would go other? I've got somebody else. Maybe you wanna, you know, maybe you're thinking, I'm the greatest. I'd... Nobody gives me any credit. How, how many of you just don't care who the greatest basketball player is? Yeah, yeah. I hear you. 
When that argument, when we're kind of doing that around like with other people, who's the greatest? It's, it's so funny to me when I think about our relationship with God. It's kind of like if we were to have a competition over who, who could make the greatest light bulb ever. And we have, everybody brings out the best light bulb. Every company puts out their best. We come up, here's the best light bulb. And then we take that light bulb and compare it to the sun. The sun wins, right? That's like the greatest of all humans compared to the sun that God actually made. He's so much beyond our imagination, unlimited. I mean, Paul uses these words of just like infinity, immeasurable, like wow before God, how great he is. When's the last time that we even shared with each other some of the things about the, the amazing things that God has done in our lives and beyond? For instance, in recent history, two examples that most of us have probably never heard of where God moved in profound ways. One uh, was, at the, was, uh, was at Dunkirk during World War II. And you've maybe seen the movie or there was a movie that was out around this, but the movie left out the most incredible part about it. So the Allied forces, about 200,000, are trapped on a beach uh, in Dunkirk and the Germans are making their way through on, on land. I mean, they're completely trapped and the Germans are bombing them from above. I mean, it's like they're gonna be lost. This is a completely lost situation. So the nation of Great Britain uh, has a national day of prayer and then something profound happens. The sky above Dunkirk became so tumultuous that no German planes could fly through it. At the same time, the sea below became so calm that an army of residential boats, I mean, I don't know how many of you, it's a beautiful weekend, have been out or are going out on your boat this weekend, but like those kind of boats went so calm, they went across and brought 200,000 people to safety. The nation cried out in prayer to God and God answered. And how many of us even know that that happened? Here's another one. In Kuwait, uh, a number of years ago now, Saddam Hussein and the Iraqis invaded Kuwait. And at the time, there was a, there, they took some hostages and one of them was a missionary. I actually saw a testimony from this missionary. He was a hostage. He was able to get his family out of the country, but at the cost of him being kept as a hostage. And so he's thinking, I could die. I don't know what's gonna happen. I may never see my family again. All those things, all those worries. I mean, just imagine how hard that would be. And then one day, the Iraqi soldiers come, open the door and said, say, we're setting you free, we're sending you home. And he goes, well, what, what happened? Well, here's what happened. Saddam Hussein was having such disturbing dreams that, that he, like there's no political advantage for him in this at all. But because of his disturbed dreams, he goes, I, this is Old Testament style. He goes, I, I have to let these hostages go. And he did. God heard the prayers of people around the world praying for these hostages and he intervened. Again, we aren't even sharing these stories, let alone if we went around this room and went person after person after person, I bet almost everybody in here could tell us an incredible tale of God moving in their life. Seeing him move, hearing, hear, hearing his clear direction, some miraculous movement, and yet those stories aren't echoing out. Why are we so focused on all the wrong things, our 25% more, and not just 
God, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you, and sharing the stories of who he is. See, the bigger we look in the world, in this universe, the more we see how, bigger, how much bigger God is and how glorious he is. Even the smaller we go, from the macro to the micro, we see God glorified. So uh, here, here's, an, here's an example. Um, and, and Jim turned me on to this. So we've got the Hubble telescope up in the, up, up, up in the sky, orbiting the earth, looking out into space. And one day they said, you know, let's take that Hubble telescope and let's turn it on a dark spot. Let's turn it to a spot between the stars and let's see if we can see anything there. Maybe there's something there. So it's the equivalent of taking a pencil point up into the sky and saying that spot right there, they took the Hubble telescope, they pointed it there and they did kind of a a, a long exposure to see what they would see in that pinpoint in the sky. This is what they saw. Now, that might just seem like, oh, it's more stars. It's not just more stars. There are galaxies, multiple galaxies, stars and galaxies. Like, it, to think in just one pinpoint in the sky, that's what we see? How much more immense is God and the universe that he made than we can even fathom or imagine? This is the one that says, from his unlimited resources, he gives us inner strength. Not only does it say that, like it's, it's, it's the word according to, not just the word from. There you go. Hey, man, man. That was good. According to, not just the word from. And, and, and think about this. If I say I'm going to give you something from what I have, I'm just taking a portion and sharing it. According to is in proportion to what I have. In God's God's Portion is larger than we can even imagine. Macro, like beyond the farthest star. We, we used to have this saying in my house with my kids. We used to say it all the time. We need to start doing this again. Say, I love you farthest, farther than the farthest mountain, deeper than the deepest ocean, and farther than the farthest star, that much and more. God is the and more. More than we can even imagine. So macro, the more far out we go, the more we just go, wow, and discover God is so much bigger. And micro, the deeper we look and explore the world that we have right in front of us, the more complex and intentional, like irreducible complexities we see all over the place. One of them is literally written into every cell of your body. It's called your DNA. And in, in your DNA, and in, like in the 50s, they started to discover this, the double helix structure that most of us are familiar with now. And these code, it's basically a code of data. Like uh, how do, the best way, and this is a limited um, illustration, but the best way I can explain this is like if no iPhones or smartphones existed in the world and somebody found an iPhone on the ground, they picked it up, they, they probably wouldn't be like, wow, it's amazing how nature formed this over time. Like, they probably wouldn't go, well, look, like, they, they, they dig into it and they go, well, there's, there's hardware and there's software tuned specifically to this hardware. Like, there's code in here that's, like, this is purposeful. There's something more going on here. Like, this denotes intelligence. In the DNA of your body is a code, three billion characters of code that, that are way more complex than any phone could ever be that literally speak to uniquely who you are, like laid out in you. So, so I just, it's so hard when we think of those big numbers to see that, 
So here's an illustration. The choir is going to help us to show that. So come on up, choir. So imagine that one Skittle equals 50,000 base pairs, 50,000 pairs of the base data that is built into the DNA and of who you are. Sorry, I got to make room there. So one of these equals 50,000. Choir's doing double duty today. Every one of these in perfect order. You can't reorder them. Things don't work. You were probably wondering as you got up this morning, what would 60,000 Skittles look like? Yeah, not only this, but we didn't, they're more than even fit in the bin, so they're going to keep bringing them up here. Like, this is what 60,000 Skittles look like, representing three billion base pairs of DNA. Literally, the, not literally, figuratively, the fingerprint of God written into every cell of your body. From the moment of conception, from that very beginning, this code is there fully formed, replicating, growing into you. The larger we look, the greater we see who God is. The more micro we look, the greater we see the majesty of who God is. And I know that someday you're gonna think back and go, I know there were a bunch of Skittles up on the stage at church. I can't remember why. (laughs) Just remember this, to show us how great and glorious God is beyond our imagination. We are just beginning to even uncover the complexities that are built into, coded into every one of us. It's incredible. And so what I want to do is close by praying the prayer that Paul prayed here over us. And so let's hear this again from Ephesians chapter 3 and then we'll close with that verse 19. When I think of all this, Paul says, I fall to my knees and pray. So here's the prayer, verse 16. And I'm praying this over us, church. I pray that from God's glorious unlimited resources Lord that you would empower us with inner strength through the spirit that Christ you would make your home in our hearts as we trust in you that your your roots Lord would grow down that our roots would grow down into God's love and Lord that you would keep us strong may we have the power to understand as all God's people should how wide, how long, how high, and how deep your love is. And Lord, may we experience the love of Christ that is too great to understand fully. Lord, then we will be made complete. Would you make us complete? Lord, we desperately need it. We all need it with the fullness of life and the power that comes from you. Lord, fulfill us, not just fill us. Now all glory to God who is able through your mighty power, Lord, at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to you in this church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would stir up in us a joy for you, a contentment that goes beyond circumstance, that goes beyond situation. Lord, would you break us of the idolatrous connections we have to things that fill us and Lord, show us, complete us, root us completely and wholly in you that we would know, taste, see, and reflect to the world around us the contentment that is you. And Lord, as we continue to discover more about the incredible 
work that you have done in making this universe the macro and the micro, in moving in our lives in miraculous ways that, Lord, we would just continue to echo more and more praise to your name. Jesus, may your spirit fill to the brim, fulfill everyone, saturate us, Lord, with your presence. In your name, Jesus, and for your glory alone, I pray. Amen. Amen.